0: Well, we only have a couple more weeks to watch that bumper video, so we had to get that in there. We are in the middle of this series on Nehemiah, and for for last week and this week, we have had the privilege of inviting back our former senior pastors to come and speak to us, and it's been awesome. So last week, the first senior pastor of this church, Mike Andrus, came and spoke to us, and today, the second senior pastor of this church, Bill Jones, is going to speak to us. Bill was a senior pastor here for about 13 years before he transitioned into a new role, but he's still a part of our church. He still goes here regularly, except that he's traveling all over the place because he has joined Reach Global, the missions arm of our association, the EFCA, and he is the Director of Developing Transformational Leaders. Did I get that right? That's his title for Reach Global. I I struggled with it earlier, so I had to make sure I got that right. The Director of Developing Transformational Leaders. He travels all over the world. He's about to head to Nicaragua, and after that, he's going to go to India. And he just came from a whole bunch of other places that he'll tell you about. And he is doing this to train and raise up pastors and missionaries all over the world. So he um, was gracious enough to give us a slot on his schedule so that he could join us and be a part of this series. We're so excited to have him come and speak to us today, and we pray that God would speak through him. Would you join me in welcoming Bill Jones?
1: Well, thank you, Adam, for the opportunity. It's a treat to be here. After two years, many of you are still sitting in the same place that you were. When I preached on Easter two years ago, it's sort of my last message, so it's such a treat to be here. Uh, Let me just give you a quick update. Uh, Adam mentioned what I'm doing. I just got back last Sunday from Africa. I was in Rwanda for three weeks. Uh, An example of doors that God is opening. There's a group there called the Evangelical Alliance of Rwanda. They represent uh, about 60 churches and denominations, and the leader of that group attended our first training that we did uh, about two years ago in Kigali, Rwanda and he said, I want, I want to make this available to the churches that are part of our association. So he worked with the leaders. They selected about 16 people to come. Our desire is to train trainers. So our goal would be to work with these 16 so that in about two years, they will be able to spread this training throughout their network of denominations and churches. So Carol and I want to thank First Free. You are our sending church. Uh, we have been blown away with the prayer support that we receive from you the the financial support that you provide we couldn't do what we're doing without you so thank you so much for providing for us I've also had a chance to listen to the previous messages I noticed how Kevin Crosley came up with his own bumper video Mike Andrus came up with his bumper video so instead of keeping up with the Joneses I gotta keep up with the Crosleys and the Anderses <laughs> by providing a bumper video for you. And I wanted to contrast how would we celebrate in the Evangelical Free Church of America at the end of a project? Imagine what it would look like here at First Free. What would a celebration look like in your mind? Versus what would it look like in the Evangelical Free Church of Rwanda, which is where I was preaching two weeks ago. This is part of a normal service, so imagine what a celebration would look like. Here's the video. This is the choir, they just finished singing, and it's, it's not an abnormal part of the service. There's another choir that comes up, the women's choir in the red dresses. They start making their way up there. You might be wondering, you know, do they ever get you out there, Bill? And the answer is, occasionally they will get me out there. And you might be thinking, that's the video we wanna see this morning. Well, that video's not gonna see the light of day. To Carol shows that very selectively. That's why I married her. (laughs) Well, today we're going to look at two chapters in Nehemiah. We're going to focus actually on chapter 8. And if you have your mobile phones or your pads or whatever, you want to look at these verses. You can uh, access them according to what you see on the slide there. And as I prepared for today's message, I was really excited. Because I see things in this passage that Overlaps so well with what the training is that we do. There are patterns that we see in this passage that are part of becoming a transformational leader. And I can summarize that pattern by using a little formula that the president of our denomination uses. It's the formula BT to MT. And what that means is we have to be transformed ourselves before we can multiply transformation in others. We have to be transformed before we can multiply transformation. That's normally the way way God works throughout history when we look in the Bible. And I'm convinced that most believers today want to experience the transformation that the Bible describes that comes through faith in Christ, and yet we struggle with it because it's really hard. It is a hard, hard journey to experience. There is no church that you read about in the New Testament that is a perfect example of biblical transformation. So first free will not be that. No other church you attend will be that. There is no single individual that we see who has this smooth, flawless journey towards personal transformation in Christ. It just doesn't happen. And so we struggle with it. And there are reasons why we struggle. I, when I think of the, the scope of the environment that we live in, there are three big reasons I can see why we struggle. Number one is the reality of the presence of sin in us. and I'm sure you've experienced the way I have. You can come to a service like this, God touches your heart, it's like you you walk away, you're refreshed, uh, you're renewed spiritually, and sometimes before you leave the parking lot, you can see how something just kind of gets you back in the old way of thinking and reacting. It may be, you know, a a voicemail that was waiting for you or a text message or a social media post. It may be some other person who's in a bigger hurry to get out of the parking lot than you are. And the old reactions just, there they are. And it's frustrating, it's discouraging, disheartening, but it shows the reality of the old way of life within us. And I'm not suggesting that we should pursue some sort of idyllic spiritual high all the time. That isn't what our goal is as followers of Christ. We are called to love God with, these are symbols we use with people as we train, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and to love others the way Christ loved us. That's what he calls us to. That's what transformation leads to. But we struggle because of the reality of sin inside of us. There's another reason we struggle. Not only do we struggle with sin within us, we struggle with the fact that other people around us have sin within them. And so, as you and I leave and we go back to our neighborhoods, sometimes we go back to our families, we go to workplaces. We go to schools, and we're surrounded by people who don't yet embrace Christ, and they are not always going to encourage us in our pursuit of Christ. And because of that, sometimes we pull back and try to find the reinforcement just within the circle of the church, even though we're told to go and make disciples. And it's understandable, because we aren't going to get that reinforcement from people who don't yet know Christ. In fact, sometimes it doesn't always happen as well as it should within the circle of god's family so we need help and if you've wondered why the pastors here continue to encourage you to find a group where you are nurtured in your faith you're developed that's the reason we need help from others but they struggle too And then there's a third reality. It's the reality of the spiritual world that surrounds us. There's this unseen spiritual world and it's filled both with holy beings and unholy beings. This is how Paul writes about it in his letter to the Ephesians. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So when you put these three realities, ongoing realities that are part of our existence here as followers of Jesus Christ, no wonder we struggle. And when I look at those three realities, it it explains what I have seen through my years as a pastor, as a leader in a local church. And I think I can safely predict where people are today as we're sitting here for this service. There are people here today who would say, you know, I'm I'm pretty much plateaued in my relationship with Christ. I can look back in my life. I can see some ways that he really has transformed me. But the change has really slowed. And maybe even it's stopped. In fact, in some areas, I can say I've actually backed up spiritually. And when I was doing my doctoral work, I actually documented this in our church in Indiana. It's not unusual. You can see it in the New Testament in churches there. You can see it in other uh, places in the Bible. And I guess it shouldn't surprise us because we see it in the people in Nehemiah's day. You know, they came back to Jerusalem. They were so pumped up The people had come back from exile. They they were wanting to rebuild the temple. They got started on it, laid the foundation, and then they struggled for a variety of reasons. Eventually, they got the temple rebuilt. But when they looked at the city of Jerusalem, the rubble, they didn't notice it anymore. It was just part of the landscape. The torn down walls, the piles of ash from the, the houses that had been burned down there by the Babylonians. They just got used to it. It was a a new way of life, a new normal for them. Same thing can happen to us spiritually. Sin damages us. It does things that kind of ruin parts of life and we can become used to that like it's a new normal. Others are outright discouraged spiritually because you've seen the sort of cumulative damage that sin does. And how it, like the, the physical conditions in, in Jerusalem, it tears down the walls of protection and makes us vulnerable. And so you, you are persistently struggling with sin and you're not seeing progress and you're wondering if there is a way out. Like Andrew mentioned, maybe you feel shame when you come. But his story, if you listen closely, it is a story of transformation. There is hope. There is a way forward. And we begin to see it in these chapters. Now, some of you are experiencing transformation. You're growing. It may be slow, but you're moving in the right direction. You're excited about your relationship with the Lord. You're reaching out to help others, and you may be a little bit puzzled. You know, why is it that some of the people I'm trying to help are not really interested in this? So you've got a whole spectrum of where people likely are today here at First Free. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we know there's no simple three-step formula. But there are patterns that we can see. Patterns in this passage that reflect some of the things that God uses all across history to help people be transformed from the inside out. And so before we look at those patterns, I want to pray. Pray. Pray that we will be receptive and open and ready for what he wants to show us. Would you bow with me, please? Lord Jesus, we on this day would celebrate your arrival in Jerusalem for your final week. How you rode in humble and seated on a donkey as people proclaimed you the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. And, Lord, we invite you to come and be victorious in our lives. We know that you come gently, you come humbly, you are meek, and you invite us to come to you and learn from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, help us to perceive what you want us to see and the way forward to becoming more like you. We pray it in your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Now before we dive specifically into these chapters, I wanna show you sort of where they fit in the big picture of this book of Nehemiah. It's something I don't think I would have seen. Uh, preparing for this message, I tried a new like, approach to studying the Bible. Rather than doing it you know, chapter by chapter, or paragraph by paragraph, as I work my way through the book, Someone, one of our ministry partners in another country, he said, have you ever tried just reading through these books again and again and again to get the big context? I said, you know, I really can't say that I have. So I decided to do it with Nehemiah. And I saw something I don't think I would have seen otherwise. First six chapters, all about the rebuilding of the wall, all the ups and downs, all the obstacles that were uh, presented and, and Nehemiah overcame them. Wall's completed. You come to the end of chapter 6. Yes! It's done! Middle of chapter 12, this is where they have the dedication service for the wall. Why is there a five and a half chapter gap between the completion of the wall and the dedication of the wall? And as I began to read different sources, commentaries, and so forth, there were some scholars who look at the gap, and they say, you know what, these chapters really don't belong there. They're kind of a displacement. Yeah, they're part of Scripture, but maybe they should have been somewhere else. And I would say, well, at one level, maybe that makes sense. Maybe I'd have to agree if the book of Nehemiah is about primarily rebuilding a wall. But when you look at these intervening chapters, what you see is that God is concerned not just about rebuilding a wall, he's concerned about rebuilding a people. And these are chapters that record how God used Nehemiah and Ezra to rebuild the people of Jerusalem. And as Mike reminded us last week, chapter 7, it's got this long list of names. Why all the names? Because God cares about people. He's more concerned about rebuilding people than rebuilding walls. And so that's what we're going to see. We're going to see how God goes about this work of removing the rubbish from the hearts of his people, just like they did physically in Jerusalem, how he's going to restore and revive a spiritual thirst within them that had waned. How he is going to renew their desire to trust and obey him because a rebuilt wall is going to mean nothing in his overall plan without a renewed people. He wants to transform people. So let's pick up at the end of uh, chapter 7, the very last verse. This is what it says. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns... All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. This is probably the only good water gate meeting that we read about in Scripture. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. So Ezra began to read the scriptures, and he read for an extended period of time. And after he had read for a period of time, the people began to weep. Now, this was a feast day. Uh, We have in the New Living Translation a Western calendar date, October 8th. In Hebrew, this is the first day of the seventh month. This was a date that God had told Israel to gather and hold a feast And we see how God uses his truth to transform his people. And it's the first principle, I think, of transformation that we see from this. God is responsible for transformation. Transformation is God's work, but we participate in it. And we can make errors in both directions if we're not careful as followers of Jesus Christ. We may think, okay, well, it's God's work. God's going to do it. God you take care of it. Here I am. I'm ready to be transformed. Just transform me. It doesn't work that way. And as Americans I can tell you worldwide we have a, a reputation of being good at managing processes. So, as Americans, we think, okay, we contribute to it, we'll do, you know, we'll, we'll make sure we have these pieces in place, we'll do these activities, we'll get all this lined up, we've got it on our calendars, we're going to make it happen. No. Transformation is God's work, and we participate in it. It's both. So, if we're sitting here today, and we sense a need for transformation in our lives, We need God's work and we need to participate in it. It's the first thing we see here. Next thing we see, it's a leadership lesson. The Lord uses transformed leaders to produce transformation in others. And we know of two transformed leaders. There's Ezra and there's Nehemiah. Now you may say, well, how do you know they're transformed leaders? Let me give you some snapshots that I think show where transformation through God is working us, how it shows up in our lives. We'll start with Ezra. It says in Ezra 7.10, Ezra, notice the order here, he had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord, and then to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. That's the pattern for transformational leadership. It begins with intentionally exposing ourselves under the Lord's direction to, to his word, to his truth. So, and it's learning what God says, but not just learning. It's learning and putting it into practice. He wasn't just a hearer of the word of God. He was a doer of the word of God. And once God's word began to transform Ezra, he began to teach others. He was an example to others. Case in point, Ezra hears about the spiritual disobedience going on in Jerusalem, here's his reaction. You can see the transforming power of God in his reaction. He says, when I heard this, I'm in Ezra 9, I tore my cloak and my shirt, I pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down utterly shocked. Then." It began to spread. All who trembled at the words of the God of Israel came and sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. At the time of the sacrifice, I stood up from where I had sat in mourning with my clothes torn. I fell to my knees and lifted my hands to the Lord my God. And I want you to listen to the prayer that he prayed. Oh my God. I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you. For our sins are piled higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. I mean, what you see in a transformed person is this humble, contrite spirit that God says he loves. And Ezra wasn't out there pointing his finger at all these people that... We're not obeying. He was humbled before God. And so a, a transformed person, it isn't just a surface thing like you see with the Pharisees that leads to a, a spirit of condemnation and self-righteousness. This is, a, this is a spirit of confession and humility. So you want to see a picture of what transformation looks like over a long period of time? You're going to see it in people like like Ezra. And Nehemiah. Here's another example. Go back to chapter 1 of Nehemiah when he got the report, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. And here's his immediate reaction. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. You you see the humble spirit, the humility there. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. That humble posture, a humble and contrite heart, that's where transformation leads us. And yet it also leads us to the hope that God promises. And that's what Nehemiah does next in his prayer. He says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. And he quotes back God's promise to him. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. I mean, Nehemiah knows that God can restore his people. And he knows it's going to involve A sense of humility and trust and obedience. So God uses his word. He uses his word to transform these men and through them he begins transforming others. And you see it, you see it in their immediate reactions, you see it in their emotions, you see it in their longings, you see it in their hopes, you hear it in their prayers. These are transformed people. And now we see how God's going to use them to multiply it. So look with me at verses uh, 7 and 8 in chapter 8. Here are the Levites, some other leaders. We have a list of their names there. It says, they instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. So they, I don't know whether they were scattered around in some ways. I know that there were some places where they were standing. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. You see, transformed leaders help other people understand how to obey God. How to trust Him in a way that they will give their lives to Him. And that's exactly what Jesus told us to do, isn't it? He said, go make disciples. And part of it is what it says in Matthew 28, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. That's what leaders do. They do what Paul said. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now one of the things I, I thought of as I prepared this message is, you know, it's been over 30 years since I've had a senior pastor in my life. Back when I was in seminary. And I thought of how thankful I am to have Adam as my senior pastor. I was going to say this whether Adam was here or not. And I say that partially because of this Adam loves the Word of God, not just learning about the Word of God, but he shares how God's Word is changing his life. And he wants us to experience that too. As he is transformed, he wants us to experience transformation. And that's how he teaches us. He teaches us to understand the Bible so that we can follow what it says. Now, it's great to have a pastor like that, but he can't be everybody's personal friend. He can't be everyone's discipler. So we need dozens and dozens and dozens of transformed leaders here, people who are teaching Sunday school classes, and people who are leading small groups, and people who are working in all the ministries here. Will you be one of those leaders so that we can experience transformation and we can help others? There's another truth here about transformation that it's really more implicit than explicit. It has to do with the role of the Holy Spirit. And what we see in Scripture is that it's God who works through His Spirit to transform us. So it's the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin so we can turn from it back to our Father. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to obey what He's showing us. It's the Holy Spirit who gives gifts to the leaders that He transforms. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers those leaders to use those gifts to lead us in transformation. I mean, it's all over this passage, even though He isn't mentioned by name. But the process is something that is very clear. This is what it says in Second Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 3. It says the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So if, if you are here today and you're struggling with transformation, you're stuck, you're plateaued, you're regressing, you're even vulnerable spiritually, You're going to need the Word of God, and you're going to need the Spirit of God to show you the way forward, to empower you to get back onto the pathway of transformation again. You see, spiritual hindrances don't take root overnight, typically. Sometimes they build up over years and years and years of neglect or years of rote habit Or years where we have resisted what God has been prompting us to do and we're not going to get unstuck from those places where we're mired just through a five-minute devotional in the morning through a 35-minute message I mean what we see in this passage is it took hours of exposure to break through what had built up there in Jerusalem. And we are going to likewise need, we're going to need shovelfuls of truth to loosen us from the muck that we're stuck in. And that takes time. Again, I think many of us have experienced this. It takes extended time with God and His truth to correct long-term problems. And if you've ever been to a conference or a retreat or a camp or a short-term mission trip, you may come back and you say, you know, that was fantastic. I just feel renewed in my faith. I've been refreshed in my trust in the Lord and my hunger for Him. Why is that? Well, it's the same thing we're seeing in this passage. So if you're stuck, you may need some extended time with God in His Word, listening, to the work of the spirit through the bible and I know that's asking a lot for busy people but if there's a crisis in your life you will find a way to make time to address the crisis I can't think of a bigger crisis a more important priority than getting unstuck so you can follow Christ more faithfully So if you need to make a plan for that, for this week, you know what that looks like. I don't have to tell you, I couldn't tell you anyway. What does it look like for you to get the time you need, extended time, to get unstuck? And make that plan now, as God is speaking to you. These are the dynamics that we see of how God rebuilds his people. He he uses his word, he uses the guidance and gifts of transformed leaders. He uses the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit during an extended period of exposure. And then we begin to see the fruit of it. There's another principle of transformation. Genuine transformation creates an ongoing, continuing thirst for God. Okay, this happened, as we read, on one particular day, a feast day, the 8th of October. Look at verse uh, 13. This is the next day. On October 9th. the family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and Levites, met with Ezra the scribe, Why? Because they wanted to go over the law in greater detail. We want to know more. We want to understand more. We want to respond more. And so they learned, according to the law, it says in verses 14 through 17, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during the festival to be held that month. There was another feast that month called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. So the people went out, it says, they cut branches, they used them to build shelters on the roofs of their houses, in their courtyards, in the courtyards of God's temple, in the squares just inside the water gate and the Ephraim gate, so everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters during the festival, and they were all filled with great joy. Wow. I mean, obedience out of faith is not a drudgery, This is a joy. This is is what God wants us to do. And we're getting to do it. We're doing it with our family. We're doing it with our neighbors. We're doing it with our friends. We're doing it with strangers. These are people who are all seeking God together. And so the spirit of transformation has captured the city. It says the Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun. Not since the days they first came to this land. So God is rebuilding his people. And you know what was happening every single day during that feast of tabernacles or booths? Look at verse 18. Ezra read from the book of the law of God on each of the seven days of the festival. They were hungry now. They wanted to know what God had to say. And chapter 9 just builds on this. It just continues. We're now at the end of the month. Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 1. On October 31st, Three weeks later, the people assembled again after that first gathering. And this time, they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. This wasn't a required gathering. This is one they had agreed to do together. And they came with spiritually hungry, humble, responsive, repentant hearts. In verse 3, here's the service. Imagine if we did this this morning. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. Six hours. Now I've been in some long services in Africa. There's one service, you know, they say it starts at nine, you just don't know when it's going to start, but it was about 20 to one when I got up to preach. Preach. So we've been in four to five-hour services. But when you're surrounded by people who are filled with the joy of the Lord, it goes fast. That's what they were experiencing. Now, if we had the time and we don't, unless you want to try one of those services. (laughs) Okay, I'm not seeing too many volunteers. So we'll wrap up with this. Chapter 9 is this extended... Kind of confession prayer. And there's this huge contrast. They recite the faithfulness of God. He keeps His promises, He provides for His people, He brings them back to Himself. And the people respond in unfaithfulness they take God for granted. They turn away from him. They resist what he says. And it's, again, kind of disheartening. Until you come to the end, when this group of people gathered in Jerusalem, they say, we want to break that cycle. We don't want to be those people. We want to be people who trust and obey you, Lord. And so this is how the chapter ends. Look at verse 38. The people responded, in view of all of this, in view of who God is and what we have done in the past, we and our fathers, we are making a solemn promise. We are putting it in writing. And on this sealed document, this is like an official commitment, are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. And chapter 10 begins to enumerate all the ways they say, we're going to start obeying you, God. We're going to do what you've told us to do. God is rebuilding his people. So let's look back over the two two chapters and see what we can apply from them. I think the first thing that we see is transformation is hard. It's very difficult. It's very easy for us to get stuck where we are. It's uh, easy to slip back into our old ways. And spoiler alert, when we come to Nehemiah, the very last chapter we're going to see that the people have slid back into their old ways again. And it's an indicator as to why the Messiah has to come. We need a new covenant that's not like the old one, which the the Israelites broke. This one is God's word written on our hearts. Jesus makes it possible for us to change for the long haul. And I realize, you know, when you look at transformation, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. God does uproot the old ways kind of slowly and he plants the new ways kind of slowly. There are exceptions to that. I've seen some in my own journey spiritually. There was a change in my language early in my faith that just startled me. God sort of saying, you know, this this is not the way I want you to talk, so I'm going to change you. And it was gone. I know people who have come to faith in Christ, they had an addiction of some kind, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, sex addiction, and they said, I was delivered from it. I mean, God just took it away. People who had this explosive anger problem, and they said, you know, God just relieved me of that. Sometimes he does that. And don't we all wish that he would do that with all of our sin problems all of the time? He will, (laughs) But not during this age. It's a slow process, one that requires faith and faithfulness, one where God provides it and we participate in it. It's this beautiful, amazing dance of transformation. So we need to ask ourselves the questions, am I seeing progress in being more like Christ? Even if it's slow, Keep pursuing the Lord. Don't be discouraged by that. Or, to be honest, I'm kind of stuck where I am. Maybe moving backwards a little bit. Or, I'm actually kind of vulnerable right now. I'm actually caught in some sins that I'm ashamed of. Well, Andrew's testimony is a beautiful statement of the transforming power of Christ for the long haul because what we have seen if we're stuck or we're moving backwards or we're kind of re-addicted to some sin it begins with confession Lord I've fallen short I'm not doing what you have commanded me to do and I'm not trusting you to change me will you forgive me now cleanse me, help me to get unstuck, and give me a fresh start. It may take an intensive period of time to do that, to get to that place. If that's what it requires, do it. If you need help, ask for it from someone you know who is walking with Christ, where they can say, follow me as I follow Christ. But I want to talk more about the leadership lessons here. This is what the series is about, right, Adam? And the leadership lessons are be transformed in order to multiply transformation. And I know the leaders here at First Free, they want to see the transforming power of Christ benefit this entire congregation. They want to see it spread outside of the congregation to transform this community. But leaders, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, people who are involved in various ministries, be transformed to multiply transformation. Would you say as leaders that you love the Lord more now than you did a year ago, more passionate than a year ago? Do you love others better now, more like Christ than you did a year ago? If not, we need the same thing. We need to confess We need to come to God in his word and listen to his spirit. And we need to obey what he shows us by faith in him. And when we do that as a church, we become what Jesus said we would be. We become the light of the world and we become the salt of the earth. And when people see first free, they see Jesus Christ and they taste Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for these chapters in Nehemiah that show us the process, the pathway of transformation, the patterns that you use. And I would pray that we would learn from them, that we would take them to heart, that we would practice them in our own lives so that we might be transformed by your grace through the work of your spirit, according to the truth of your word, in the company of your people. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.